0: This is the History Worth Saving Podcast. I'm Matt Jolly. This week, we go into the darkness. We're talking about human trafficking. We're talking about addiction. But most importantly, we are talking to someone who has survived. My friend April has come full circle from the time that she was five years old. The abuse began. And her story of recovery, her story of triumph is one that I don't care. I don't care where you're at in life. You're going to get something out of this episode. If you have a young person with you or nearby, this is probably a good time to find another episode of History Worth Saving to listen to. But if you have a teenager, if you have somebody that is at that point in life, where good decisions that they make come into play, this is an excellent episode because it is one that truly speaks to the human condition, to the heart, and to the head. Please welcome April Ogden, the teen, my friend from Missouri that I met at an air show. She was, you know, out there slinging these speakers up, these big 50 pound speakers with her fiance Sean, and they were working the line, and you know, I'm a sucker for a good story, and April and I started talking, and this amazing, amazing story came forward, and I just had to tell it. April, thanks for joining me.
1: Thank you for having me. I still can't
0: believe how we met right there at the home of Top Gun. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah right like how and cool is yeah. that like that's where maverick ran down the runway of the motorcycle and you're out that's there right completely unafraid of hard hard work and you're i mean people don't realize that i'm an air show announcer when we have air shows and working yeah i've always worked in media and journalism and whatnot and this show this is a labor of love but air shows you know they pay the bills when we have them and i'm out there and you're out there with sean and It's rare that you see a lady out there doing this kind of work because it is. It's tough work setting up that big sound system that can reach 750,000 people. I mean, it's massive, and and you're out there doing this, and I thought, well, now here's a lady who is, A, unafraid to do hard work and get her hands dirty, uh, but, B, is doing something that she would probably rather not be doing but is doing it with such a great attitude that I've got to get to know her because it's tough. It's hard work. And, and there you were. So now here you are.
1: <laughs> right. It is a tough job. Um, you know, the, when I went with Sean and um, the man that we worked for, John, he really needed some help. And I yeah. said, Hey, I'm, I'm all for it. Let's, what can I do to help? And he said, just be a body. Anyone <laughs> just... and whatever Sean and, 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 uh mike or sean and eddie tell you to do go do it and go i do said, it. okay yeah. go do it <laughs> okay it's a great experience so and i got to meet you which you know that's, well there
0: you that's, go <laughs> i'm sorry about that
1: <laughs> no, no <laughs> but, i'm grateful
0: <laughs> well i think it's wonderful that i think it's wonderful that that you were able to 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 show up with that kind of attitude your attitude was so impressive and i mean miramar is a hot hot show it's it's it, it's always hot And it's, you're out in the sun all, I mean, this is not, this is not something that is pleasant work, but here's the thing. You have been through absolute hell and doing something like that, probably, I'm just, I'm not projecting on you, but I'm just guessing that it's like, well, it's not this, it's not what I've been through. I mean, this is okay. And you were just so grateful about it all. And I thought this, this lady is just truly something your path started at five?
1: Five years old, yeah. The abuse. The abuse. First time I was molested, uh, I was five years old, uh, by, by my babysitter's husband um, in a very small town in Kansas. Um, and um, I actually didn't remember the event until many, many years later, um, but it set the tone for a course in my life that would become um, very difficult, very tragic, very trauma-filled, and it took me until my 40s going down a very, very dark road in a very, very dark world before I found my way out. And so um, when you saw me at Miramar, I had been out of that dark world for about two and a half years. Um, and I was very much then the way I am today. I was so happy to be anywhere that was full of life and love and fun because I got to live and I probably shouldn't have on many occasions. Um, I probably shouldn't have, um, but I'm a firm believer that God had a different plan for me. Uh, so I got to, you know, I got to go through all these things and then when I found my way out, Um, I decided that every breath that I took was going to be about helping and living and being okay with what had happened and figuring out how to help the masses or the one um, that I could help that was standing in front of me. And so that's why you saw that sheer just joy um, because I had earned it the hard way.
0: So, five years old turns into the teenage years, which I'm guessing, like most teenagers, (laughs) there's a lot of stuff, a lot of temptations that come. But when you've been in a place like that at five, I mean, is that what leads to other stuff? Or or, or walk me through that, because I think parents especially are going to, they're they're clinging on to every word here because they want to know. They want to know. If something has happened how to stop future damage or, or just where where does it go from there i mean help us out here
1: for me it went to a very rebellious teenager that hated everyone um i hated everyone i was such an angry person um and then in my early 20s um i got married to a man was a very, very bad man uh, he was a trafficker i did not know that at the time Um, which led to even more anger uh, and more rebellion, um, and there was all of these things. And so for parents, I tell them, watch your children. Your children will tell you without saying a word. When they are angry for no reason to you, there's no reason why this child is angry. You need to start looking at what maybe you don't know, because children by nature are not just angry something has hurt them, something has made them this way, and you need to look at what you're not seeing. Uh, even if you don't think your child will talk to you, pay attention to the things that they do pay attention to how they talk to other people pay attention. When people come around that you think that they should be um, affectionate towards and they run from them or they hide from them uh, make sure that you're watching for those things, because these are all telltale signs from a child that there is fear and fear will quickly turn into anger. If you don't pay attention to it.
0: You married your trafficker.
1: I did. I did. Yeah. Uh, I did not know he was a trafficker when I married him. We, we had a very short courtship, um, you know, all the glitz and glamour, and uh, married like six months after I met him, maybe a year after I met him, and shortly after that it was, now you're going to the club, now you're going to give me all your money.
0: Where, where is the point where you step off and you say, well, I'm going to be okay with this? Walk, walk me through that.
1: There's never, there's never that point. You finally get to a point where you go, "If I'm gonna die, I'm gonna do it on my terms and my terms only." Um, fear is contagious. I've said this multiple times. Fear is contagious. Um, when you start to fear, you just you fear everything. And if um, a person has beaten you black and blue and taken every penny that you've earned because you were doing what he made you do. And then he says to you, I will kill you if you don't do what I tell you to do. There is nothing in the human mind that says he's lying. He won't kill you because he's already shown you how bad that he will hurt you. And so there is no, it's not like stopping a a roller coaster ride and just going, hey, I'm getting off. You get to a point where you decide I am, if I'm going to die, if you're going to kill me, I'm, I'm doing it on my terms, but I am done today and that cost me more than you can ever imagine it cost me being able to be with my daughter until she was 20 years old it cost me my family they they just couldn't understand why I didn't leave people have asked me multiple times why didn't you just leave and the thing that they don't realize is um, customers are not your average Joe uh, those are not the guys coming to the club the lawmakers are the ones coming to the your cops are coming to the clubs. Your judges are coming to the clubs. Those are the people that we're working for that, that are paying basically our trafficker. And so nowhere in that can I go, hey, I'm going to go call the cops because the cop that shows up may be one of the very cops that was your customer the day before, and there's nothing he's going to do about it because he wants you to keep being there for his, um, for his satisfaction.
0: And I think you just painted the picture for those that haven't been able to draw this out. Completely. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: These are clubs where things happen and where ladies are completely exploited and that kind of stuff, it, it does happen every day.
1: Yes, it does. Every day.
0: And you lived through it. How, how long did that go on? Because the timeline is 10 years, 10 years,
1: 10 years. Yeah. I, I finally left, um, jumped out of a fire into an inferno. Um, met up with this guy that I just thought was going to save me. And, um, of course it didn't work out like that. And he ended up robbing someone while I was sitting in a car, uh, which got us both sent to prison. Um, he raped me while we were on the run. I had a child that I gave up for adoption. Um, and when I came home from prison, I was so filled with hate and anger And frustration and sorrow and grief and all of these emotions that I had no idea what to do with them. I just went straight to drugs because I needed to forget. And I forgot for a very long time, about 12 years I forgot. And then there came a day where God, I begged God two days before I went to jail just to let me die. Just please just let me die. I can't take it anymore. I can't take the drugs. I can't take the hurt. I can't take any of it anymore, and um, and I woke up two or three days after that in jail. I had literally pulled every brand of my own hair out um, piece by piece, um, and I woke up in jail, and I looked in one of those, you know, kind of plexiglass mirrors they put up for you, and the first words out of my mouth were, what have I done? I had done a lot. I had done some of the most hurtful things to my family, um, to the people that I loved um, every day. And I talk about that when I do events. You know, I I talk about the hurt and pain that I put my family through. Um, And most of it was because they didn't understand how hurt I was and they didn't know how to help me. Uh, They didn't know how to help me when I was being abused by my husband and being trafficked. They didn't know how to help me when I was on the run. They didn't know how to help me when I was in my addiction. They just didn't know how to help me. And the reason they didn't know how to help me is because I didn't know how to let them in to help me. So,
0: I don't think I'm alone in this, but everyone who hears this says, well... You know, how, how can I help what What can be done in this situation? Is there a way to fix it, or is it is it just best to to be there for them? I mean how how do you make this a better situation in something like this?
1: You just be there. Um, one of the things I told I trained our fire department fire department in Fulton uh, last year, three different teams on how to spot human trafficking. And one of the things that um, I remember telling them was, um, there are certain questions that you don't ask someone if you believe they're being trafficked and you're there watching them. Like you don't ask them, can I help you? Because a lot of times, um, Traffickers specifically, they'll say, Well, girl, I can help you out with that. And, you know, I can help you with this. I can help you with that. I can help you with this. And the moment that you take that acceptance of help, you are already caught in a trap that you will never understand because now they have something over you. I tell people to ask people if they believe that they're being trafficked or they see something that they think is wrong. You ask that person, Are you safe? Because I can literally shake my head no without alerting a trafficker that is always close by because they're always close by and I can shake my head. No. And that person may, that trafficker may not understand what I'm shaking my head no about, but it's not a big deal. So it's, it's kind of a double-edged sword. Like people want to say, how can I help you? And that's the last thing that we need to hear. We need to hear someone say, are you safe? And then what happens? Um. So if a trafficker ever finds out that you're talking about it specifically, you will, take the wrath of a very, very angry man um, or woman. there's women traffickers just as well um, because you are taking food out of their mouths to them. You're taking away from them, you're taking the money for the cars, the money for the jewelries, the money they can you know spend on their girlfriends or boyfriends, um, the money that they spend to, to show off and you know, and people don't understand that um, somebody is being exploited for them to have this money. Um, and you had no understanding of the abuse that we are are, are enduring, um, just to try to survive.
0: So what what do you focus on now? Because this this, and I'm sure you've just hit the high tops here. I cannot. Yeah. I I cannot imagine the pain yeah. and the the loss that you felt. You said in one in one sentence. You said, "I this kept me from seeing my child." that I had while I was on the run and then I was, I mean that alone right there, April is more than, than most people have to experience in a lifetime. And that's just a sentence in this story. Yeah. So over 25 years.
1: Yeah, 25 years, easily 25 years of so much trauma and so much pain. And I spoke at the Capitol in Missouri uh, before the coronavirus hit, and I gave a statistic and people that were sitting there in the Capitol just sat there with their mouths open. Like you've got to be kidding me. So at this very moment, 24.9 million people are being trafficked across the world. And that doesn't necessarily just mean, um, uh, Sex trafficking, it's human it's human trafficking all the way around, labor trafficking, sex trafficking, um, exploitation of the human body and the human mind and the human person. So 24.9 million people are being exploit, exploited right now. Of that 24.9 million people, 10% will survive. Of that 10%, 1% will ever go on to tell anyone that it happened to them. And only a tenth of a percent will go on to speak publicly about it like I do out of fear of retaliation, fear of embarrassment, fear of humiliation. They just don't do it. And we have to. So um, I have to do this. This is not something I can just sit idly by and do nothing with. I have to do this because my life was worth saving and I want to make sure that every life that this is happening to is worth saving in everyone's eyes.
0: So for the person listening today that is on this path or has been on this path, whether it's abuse or whether it's trafficking or drugs, how do you move forward into a loving relationship like you have right now? Because I've seen the two of you together and yeah. it's it's one of those rare relationships that just, I'm not saying you guys don't have trouble, <laughs> but when, when you two are together, it's it's dynamic.
1: Yeah, so the biggest thing is uh, everything that you're carrying, all this weight you carry from addiction or trafficking or abuse, put it down. It is not your cost to bear. Um, you have to learn to love yourself. Uh, you have to learn that everything that you've been taught along the way the tactics and the grooming that gets used for abuse and trafficking and all of these things, they are lies. They are flat lies. You are a beautiful, living human soul, and you deserve to love yourself and to be loved by other people. And people have forgotten how precious they are. And it's so important that we remind them it doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter what you've been through. You are worth loving, every single inch of you.
0: To the moms and dads, to the brothers and sisters that are out there, you said something that, that I think is so important. Just to be there,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and the frustration—I just—I cannot even imagine the level of frustration that they must be experiencing, and to the point where they say, well, you know what, I, I can't be an enabler. Because how many times have you heard that? Well, I, can, I, I can't I can be there. I can't be an enabler uh, and support That's
1: this. exactly right. That's exactly right. You know, my family um, enabled me for years and years and years because they thought that would help. You know, they knew I had gone through all this stuff because I talked about it with them. I didn't try to speak about it publicly, but I talked about it with them, you know, and um, it was very difficult for them to understand like you've been through all this stuff and now you're doing drugs and they enabled me you know they did whatever they could and then finally one day I called my mother the most awful names I, I dare not repeat them ever again in life because they break my entire soul but I called my mother the most awful names on the phone one day and she said April Anne, I am absolutely done with you treating me like this I will always love you but until you figure it out I am done do not call me again and she meant he helped save my life, you know. As things passed. because it was just a day's after that conversation that I was arrested. And by
0: saying that she wasn't, as you said, just be there for the, for the person. She wasn't not being there, but she wasn't going to take the abuse.
1: Yeah, she, she wasn't was there put for
0: a- you, but but she wasn't there for the abuse.
1: Yeah, absolutely. She said, I will love you, but I have to love you from a distance because you are toxic. You are toxic. You just destroy everything that is in your path because you are so hurt and lost. And that I used to tell people before, before the five years ago um, when I finally was arrested the second time and sent to prison the second time, I used to tell people I'm a lost cause. I'm, I'm just a lost cause. Like, don't even bother with me. I'm a lost cause, mm. but now I'm at where I'm at in my life is I say I used to be a lost cause, and now I'm a cause for the lost.
0: Hmm, isn't that great? And, yeah. and I and I, I want people to hear that because I want I want them to hear a cause for the lost, but I also want them to hear that it is okay to to say, look, I you know if you, if you're dealing with someone in your family like this, to say, look, I I am not going to enable this lifestyle. I'm here for you, but out of love for you and out of love for my own life, I am not going to be subjected to this abuse through you. Absolutely. And that's okay because I, th- those, are, those are words of comfort for anyone that's dealing with this because I've seen it myself. I've seen the pain that comes to a mother or a father or a brother or a sister who just with all of their heart wants to pull this person out of it. And it seems so easy to people on the outside, Right. Just, just right. leave, just leave. yeah. but that mental abuse, that root, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, it is like a like a strong oak tree around the, the heart and the mind of the person who's being trafficked. It's just not that easy to leave.
1: yeah, you just you just can't walk away. Um, it just doesn't work that way because they will come and find you. So the path for
0: you was prison,
1: yeah, two times. Uh, the first time, um, I went was right after I left my husband. Um, I was raped, had a baby, baby was given away for adoption. Um, he'll actually be 18 this year. So my daughters are looking at hopefully maybe trying to find him. Uh, that's a conversation for another day. Uh, but I got home the first time. And like I said before, I had all of this stuff and it was just killing me on the inside. And so I went to drugs, uh, And then 12 years later, um, I'm arrested again. So I did a 12-year addiction sent, I'm arrested again. And that one sentence when I woke up in jail and said, what have I done, Uh, set the tone for what would happen for for the next five years of my life, which is leading up to what we're talking about today. Um, I met with my public defender immediately, and I said, look, I'm sick. I have a problem. And if you let me back out on the streets i'm going to die please i am begging you with all of my heart please just send me to treatment just let me figure it out because i wanted to live i knew that i wanted to live i didn't know what i was going to do but i knew i wanted to live i did not want to die and the judge um the prosecutor said no i want her to go to prison for 10 years she has been a tyrant in our town for the last 15 years i am not putting up with her crap i want her to go do 10 years and the judge, who's now retired, uh, said, she looked at me and she said, are you ready to live? And I said, I am. I, I, I'm ready to live. I want to live. And she overrode everything that the problem. She said, you're going to go do 120 days in treatment in the prison in, Van, in Vandalia, Missouri. And I did. And my first two months there, I really was going through it. Like, I just couldn't deal with all of it because now I'm dealing with all of it in a sober environment and they're making me talk about it and they're making me look at it and I'm having to see it and I I I had a nervous breakdown in treatment and the lady that was my counselor she saw that um, hurt in me and she saw the trauma in me and she cared for it and she she took me down a road where I could finally to heal um, and it got close to me getting ready to go home and Matt I, I'm i not a fearful person I've kind of got this warrior attitude I've had all my life I've kind of had to be a survivor but it was the first time I was really scared like in my life like I had real fear to come home like I had to come home to no family um, I had to come home to my children not wanting anything to do with me I had no home The only thing that I knew for sure solid to my deepest core was that I would never do meth again. That was the only thing I knew. Everything else was just this ball of terror. And I was scared. I was really, really scared. And faith comes in. And then faith. Yeah. And then here comes God and faith. And, um, oddly, uh, I'd been home for about six months, and um, I've talked with my mother about this, uh, and I said, you know, my stepdad passes away. That's the William C. Potter that you'll hear about later. Um, my stepdad passes away. Uh, I moved directly in with my mom to help take care of her because she immediately starts having these spells that the doctors can't tell us what they are, um, and so um, I'm juggling my sobriety at six months. I'm juggling, you know, just lost my stepdad, trying to take care of my mom. Um, and um, I don't know what to do. And then I meet, not meet, but I reconnect with Sean, uh, Sean and I were, we dated briefly in high school and, um, so you fast forward through all of this stuff and I reconnect with Sean and he becomes this huge, like vast support system for me. Um, he, I would, we would go on our, you know, our first few dates and it's the funniest thing because I didn't cry in front of my mom. Because, you know, she just lost her husband and she's having what we now know are pseudo seizures. We didn't know then. Um, I didn't cry in front of my mom. I didn't show her that I was panicking at all about staying sober. And so Sean would pick me up for our first dates and I would literally get in his truck and we would ride around uh, because we live in a rural area and I would just cry. And cry and cry and cry. And then we would go to his house and I would sleep and sleep and sleep. And we did this for like three months and he never folded. And I would tell him, I just don't know if I have the strength to do all of this. And he would say, that's what you have me for. And so Sean was this, like this male entity in my life that didn't talk, down to me that didn't disrespect me that didn't physically abuse me he just said I'm here and I've got you what do you need me to do and all I needed him was to do was just be there and so for about another six months or so I start I'm like okay now I've got all this stuff like what what am I gonna do what the heck am I gonna do this is I can't do this again start going to college um, so I'm 43, 44, 45 years old. Start going to college. 44, I guess. Start going to college. Really enjoy it. I'm just doing kind of the liberal arts thing, but I'm still not doing anything with all of this stuff I have inside me. And so I start praying. I'm like, God, what is it you want from me? Like, I know you did not let me live just to take care of my mom, just to be here for my family, just to meet Sean. I know you didn't. What is it? Like, just <laughs> talk to me. And i I say this, and I've said it a million times, in that very second, I felt like God stuck his finger in my brain and said, now that you are listening, we have work to do, and we have worked since that moment.
0: The William C. Potter Foundation, uh, named in honor of your late stepfather, is is a local organization working in your hometown to do good and to bring about change.
1: Yes, yes
0: talk about that because this is huge i mean and and i'm just the whole time you're you're talking about this i'm just imagining this retired judge kind of following along with this maybe in the in the shadows and i hope i hope that there's you know at the end of this story i hope there's a cherry on top where this judge is still involved
1: yeah, so I'll get to her later uh, <laughs> later in this. I will get to her though. Uh, she she is uh, she's an amazing woman and she knew what she was doing. So the Williamsley Potter powder. Um I went to my brothers, they're my stepbrothers, but we've had we've been together since we were young, young children, so they're my brothers. Uh, this was their dad. And I said I went to one of them, his name's Joey, he's the middle boy. There's three boys and myself and Joey's the middle boy, and I said Joey. Uh, I really want to start a foundation in her dad's name. I want to do a, a, events about addiction because he was an addict as well. Um, my stepdad was. He was clean for almost four years before he passed away. And he said, you sure that's what you want to do? you sure you want to talk about all this in public, April? And I said, yeah, I do. And I want to do it for, for me and for us and for our dad because he was the first of us. And he said, okay, let's do it. So um, he said, I'm all in. And so the First eye contact is uh, a man who's since passed away, his name is Pastor Dave, um, and he was doing NAA meetings in my area. Um, he had been clean, I don't know, many, many, many years, up until probably close to 20 years. And he said, April, I've got this group of teenage girls. Um, they're uh, what you would consider, quote, bad girls. Um they come to the NAAA meeting every, I think it was a Tuesday night, and he said there's about 15, 14 or 15 of them. They range age from 11 to 17, and he said, I think they will learn something from you, and I said, okay, I'm, I'll be there, and so uh, we make this big board that I have that has my dad's picture, um, three of my pictures, uh, one while I was active in addiction my first day in prison, going to treatment, and a picture of me then, which was like two and a half years clean, um, and it just said the Williams C. Potter Foundation, so I take this big board, you see these three pictures, and you've seen them um, on my Facebook page, Matt, so you know how, like, they are shocking all pictures, they are really, like, these cannot be the same woman, so I go speak to these 14 or 15 girls, and by the time I'm finished, um, they're bawling, all of them, And I'm like, what have I done? And they're one by one coming up to me. I've been through all of what you went through, and I'm 14. And I start bawling to hear a woman that's a grown-up say, you can survive. You are not a victim. You are a survivor. You've got to live. So live. Just live. And seeing the looks on their faces, um, I was just – I. I was so joyful and sorrowful and I was all of these emotions and I'm hugging all of these little girls and I'm feeling myself and all of them. And I knew in that moment that everything that I would do after that moment was going to be about hopefully saving a life. Even if it's one life, I would love for it to be millions and millions and millions of lives. But if it is one life, I am satisfied with that.
0: And the William C. Potter Foundation, which is working there in Missouri, uh, yeah. it's worth noting is now a recognized 501 C3 organization there in the state of Missouri. How can folks That's- who hear this who want to help, how can they get involved with the William C. Potter Foundation
1: So we only raise money once a year. Um, we raise it actually not even – we raise it – it's the one fun thing we do because uh, I go out and speak at addiction and human trafficking events, talk about really uncomfortable conversations because they need to be had. We raise money one time a year, though, and we at, with a car show, and we donate it. So we don't ask that anybody send us money um, because – what I do is about awareness, and so what people, if you're listening and you live in um, an area that you think this is not being discussed or you want to hear more about it, reach out to me and say, hey, um, I will pay for you to come here. I will pay for your whole hotel stay. I've got an event that I would love for you to speak at, and I will be there. And that's like, that's what we want. We wanna raise awareness all across the all across the globe. We don't just wanna do it here. We wanna show people that are afraid or people that have somebody that's suffering in their life or people that just wanna know more. We wanna to talk to you about it. We wanna give you life lessons that are uncomfortable to talk about there is hope for the people that you love. There are There is hope for the people that you see every day. There is hope, and I want to be the person that gives you that hope if I can.
0: I love it. And, of course, uh, April, you don't make a nickel off of the William C. Potter Foundation. The money goes to folks in your area who truly need it for help. Yeah. And it, yeah. it's a variety of things that you've donated to in the local area. I think it's a wonderful a wonderful idea and i think the the work that you're doing is so great. Thank you. Will you come back on again?
1: Absolutely, i would love to.
0: Because there's so much more to talk about that is that is good and wonderful in what you're doing. And you know what, at some point at some point i want to have someone who you suggest to come on this show. I'd love that. Because you have so many friends who have so much to yeah. share have finally stepped forward so here's the takeaway it's not can i help you it's are you safe
1: are you safe
0: and know that there is hope on the other end of this that's right if you want to live that's right. you got to tell me about the judge in the last 30 seconds
1: so the judge has since retired uh but i met another judge recently And I was telling him who I was and telling him about the judge. And he called the judge on his cell phone. And he said, you're never going to believe who's standing next to me, completely sober, out here making changes in our community, doing all this stuff. Guess who it is? And uh, Judge Christine Carpenter said, I have no idea. And he said, you remember that beaten down woman named April Detene? And she said, from like five years ago? He said, yeah, like five years ago. He said, you would not believe the woman that she is today. And she said to tell you, thank you. And you could hear her crying on the phone.
0: That's God, isn't it? Isn't that the great? That's God. <laughs> isn't that, isn't <laughs> yeah. that I, I mean, it's a miracle that you're still here, but it's a miracle that she, that she Got to see had, what she had helped. Well, not only that, but that she had the, that, that grace to have mercy on you and to let you live yep. in a way yep. that would be productive for everyone. I mean, that is miraculous in itself. Yeah. And you don't hear those stories often about the justice system. April, right. thank you for coming on. Thanks so much. And we'll talk soon. It's the William C. Potter Foundation, everyone. April, we'll talk real soon. And I look forward to Great. seeing you at a show Matt. again where you're not working, just where we can hang out and have some yeah. fun. All right.
1: Exactly. My All best right. to
0: you and Sean. So long, April. Thanks. Folks, you can find out more about April's group, the William C. Potter Foundation. You can find them on Facebook and you can find her. I will link to her profile so you can message her and bring her out. Get to know your neighbor. There are amazing stories even right next door. Till next time, that's history worth saving. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it